us. Um, by and large, we're quite happy in our culture and our context to give generously, to help each other out, to sacrifice for one another, as long as it doesn't get in the way of us choosing what we want um, or, where we, or where we will go. And so that's a profound challenge for us. So we've been talking through the series about neighborhood as a lens um, of looking at this stuff, about our actual physical neighborhoods. One of the things that's changed um, since the 1970s and neoliberalism is, um, is how incredibly fluid our neighborhoods are, that we move so often and our neighbors move so often that we have less and less connection to the people in the physical spaces around us. So we've just sat thinking about what it would be like to pay attention to our neighborhood, what it tells us about ourselves and about the people around us and about how we cultivate community and care um, in lots of areas of our life. So we've been reflecting on that together. Uh, the last few weeks, we've been doing interviews with people who are connected to their neighborhood in different ways and what their experience of this is. And today, we're really lucky to have Sarah here. If you don't know Sarah, she's tops. Um, I like her better than most of you. Um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I like all of you um, to varying degrees. I love, I love all of you equally, but I like you to varying degrees. Um, this has got a trapdoor underneath it, this section of floor here. Um, Sarah is, uh, does radio, um, and so public speaking, totally fine. Talking to Christians, Christians give us all anxiety. So she has been invited to press the ejector seat button at any point along this journey and uh, will fall through the floor um, onto, I don't know, what's under there, some kind of bean bag situation, I think, with gin and tonic. So, yeah. So it can bail, can bail at, <laughs> at any stage. Sarah um, has been a part of our community for a little bit, about a year. Wow, that's pretty good. Um, about a year. And um, that's been a surprise to her. <laughs> like many of you, a surprise that she came here and keeps on coming here. It's like there's something in the water, some kind of Kool-Aid. Um, yeah, but it's really lovely to have her around. And your living situation is really unique. Um, yeah, and really lovely. So we've been chatting this week about it. So um, do you want to just maybe just describe um, the physical makeup, I guess, of it, and then maybe how you ended up there or how it came about? All right. So I'm going to start with a small caveat that because my community, unlike, say, like Tish last week, like IHH has a certain kind of public-facing quality. Ours does not. It includes... Um, family violence survivors and foster kids, we have to be a little bit careful about anonymity, particularly for the sake of the podcast. So I'm going to like awkwardly avoid names and or bail and someone's going to edit it out <laughs> um, and um, locations a little bit. But somewhere in the kind of mid-southeastern -south, uh, suburbs at the end of a court, we have, I really should have done this count before I was sitting in front of you with a mic in my hand. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight houses or flats, um, which as of yesterday morning include 20 people. Um, I first moved in in 2006 when it was just two houses. Um, so a couple who had a couple of kids moved into the front, built a place in the back for them and having grown up um, as 
some of us in the eastern suburbs Baptist kind of community had um, in student housing associated with churches liked that kind of community feel and decided real estate agents are horrible. So the combo of those two pieces of information was they were going to kind of put people in the front place that they knew and try and cultivate a sense of community with them. I stayed there a year and then um, left for a brief unwise experiment in missionary life <laughs> um, and 10 years um, later um, managed to get my way back in um, but I had been as had many um, kind of still connected to that community through endless dinners and whatnot um, and so um, when Nextdoor came up for sale we built a bunch of places there and um, a lot of us who had been lurking around the kind of dinner scene in that community were able to move back in again and so I did that at that time. Um, who were the people, who were the first people there and how did that come about that they decided to kind of like extend and open that? Like it's a huge step to take to invite other people into your world in a way that you can't just close the door on them. Um, I think, so um, they are a couple who at the start had two kids and nowadays have four. Um, they come from the bush um, and from large families kind of has an impact on your personality, as well as that culture that they and a couple of us had come through of kind of student accommodation attached to churches. So that sense of community and that lack of expectation that people will stay out of your house is kind of built into that experience. Um, and so um, that was kind of their motivation and a handful of us who are connected um, to the community. Um, only one other, my current housemate, came through as a, like, resident in those places, um, but a lot of us were kind of connected to those student communities. Um, so that kind of sense of we want to be connected, we're used to having people up in our grill a lot of the time, <laughs> kind of helped. And then as we kind of spent a decade or so eating together and sharing our lives together, um, we got comfortable on the whole with doing that in our pyjamas from time to time and whatnot as well. So. So how many houses did you say there are? Eight houses. Eight houses? Um, so we have one, two, three, four, five, six buildings, um, and one of them um, is split into kind of two and a half apartments, depending on your feelings. <laughs> <laughs> depending on which door is open and which is closed, yeah. So that's like, yeah, that's like a lot of spaces in the same spot which is a pretty rare thing um how one of our kind of prime values and i was certainly raised this way oh there's another mic i've totally forgot we'd bought that yeah um that's good could we have some feed um some fallback and or some feedback um some fallback <laughs> in this um fallback here as well just so because we can't i can't hear myself at the moment so yeah um i i i was raised I guess in an environment where privacy was one of the oh that's perfect thanks um, where privacy was one of the um, highest values um, and there's lots of really lovely things about that um, <laughs> there's some drawbacks as well in terms of isolation and stuff how how does that function um, so upsides and I posed this to a smaller group of folk on Thursday night at dinner mm -hmm. um, is that because it isn't like this one big building. Um, we can kind of return to our respective corners and everyone's household has a different kind of policy around the level of openness in their house. So 
the family house is like strolling whenever you like, no one cares. You may see a half-dressed child who, you know, <laughs> although as they're getting older now, they're better at keeping their clothes on. Um, and then some of them are like, downstairs is fine. And some of them, it's, you know, for us, it's if the blinds up, come in at will. Yeah, if right. the blinds down, stay away. Yeah. yeah. So we will have a system. If the caravan's rocking, yeah. <laughs> don't come knocking. Yeah. yeah, there's no socks involved. But yeah, the, yeah, yeah. We, ha we all have systems of one description or another. Um, uh, so that we can have a level of privacy that fits us if we need it. Um, or if we don't care, we don't care. Um, or if you're the child of people who don't care, you get used to it. <laughs> um, there are upsides and downsides to that. Um, so for me, um, I, I pitched to the group the other night, like, what are the downsides for you? And the privacy thing is probably the downside for me. It's also the upside. Mm. So because it means that when you need support, whether you are willing to ask for it or not, people know <laughs> and you will get it whether you want it or not. Um, but if you need it, you will get it. Um, but it also means that whatever you have going on goes on with an audience. So um, we have a couple who have a kid Sam's age, um, which means that they are very brand new parents with an audience, um, which means they get all the support that they could possibly need, but also, you know, everything that comes with that has an audience. Um, for me, this past year I've been in trauma therapy, um, which means that when I was, like, having a breakdown in the driveway, there was someone there to help me, but there were also people there to watch. Um, and two of those people are people who have the same kind of mental health condition I have, and who in some ways are using me as an audition for whether they want to be in therapy. So I had to <laughs> contend no with this, yeah. Yeah, the kind of pressure that comes with that um, and the question that comes with that. Um, but, you know, at the same time, there was someone there for me. And despite the fact that I was quite convinced that I was a very bad advertisement, at least one of them is on board based on her experience of my experience. So <laughs> it's gone all right. But, yeah, there are there is always a price to pay. So there's ups and downs. There's two sides of all of those coins. Yeah. Well, let's dig in for, for, for a bit into the bit that you love about the experience and contrasting it to other seasons of your life where you've lived in a different environment and stuff. What's, what's changed for the positive? What have you found about having that kind of, I mean, unintentionally intentional neighbourhood? Like, <laughs> you know, like, like from what you've described, it doesn't strike me as the kind of like hyper-earnest, um, you know, ready-to-become-sister-wives um, experience that, other people have perhaps had an intentional, more intentional communities, like is it a little bit looser? Like? Yeah, exactly. So I joke and use the word commune a lot, which is inaccurate. People, particularly in kind of hipster worlds, will call it intentional community, which is also a miss because the level of intentionality that any of us is capable of in this community is pretty low. It just kind of happened to us by accident. Um, and I think in many ways that's one of the reasons that it works. Um, there are a huge number of upsides to that. So young parents don't have that, like, I haven't spoken to an adult in yeah. months kind of quality. People are in their house and out of their house. They always have that connection without having to, like, get dressed and worry about whether the kid's screaming or not. I did wake up to the sound of that kid screaming this morning. <laughs> Poor Love just came back from a holiday and is not coping with transition all that well. <laughs> um, for me, um, it has been... Like, there's a reason why for 10 years I stalked them to try and <laughs> um, get back into that living situation because that first year was one of the best years of my life. Um, but also it's a big contrast to my life as a whole. Um, so um, I grew up... I'm one of the family violence survivors that I mentioned earlier, so I grew up not well in many respects. Um, and since that time I have lived in good places with good people, but 
particularly this last few years I've been home, um, I have had a sense of safety in my home probably for the first time in my life, having not grown up to expect that um, and to look for it, kind of snuck up on me um, and has been the reason why I've been able to be in therapy, has been the reason why I can recontend with this whole church situation um, with a certain level of mild anxiety but without constant breakdown. <laughs> We've got lots of exits, yeah. which is really important <laughs> in a situation like this. Yeah. Um, so that contrast for me has been very real and very important to have. Um, but it's different for all of us. Yeah, do you want to talk about that? Because um, there are a variety of personalities and life stages and yeah. um, people in, in there. Like, how, how is it different for different? Sure. So um, we have a very young family, a family with a, like, primary school, middle school, secondary school and someone who I still think of as a kid who is 18 and starting uni, so I should probably stop thinking that way, but she's still a four-year-old in my head. <laughs> um, and then we have a squad of singles at different kind of ages, so from kind of... Do you have a uniform? We do not have a When you say squad, I immediately imagine. So some 20s, some 30s, some 40s. Um, for those of us who don't have kids, I don't have kids, I will never have kids. Um but I do have kids in my life. Mm. So for the outside world, I normally call them my nieces and nephews because it's the easiest thing to explain and because I've been in their lives their whole life and they in mine, um, which is an excellent amount of child because you can send it home. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I can also... only dream. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, I think, well, I know from their parents that that really works for them in many ways as well because these kids have grown up seeing a lot of different ways of being a human. So their kids have grown up with queer people, their kids have grown up with people from all over the world, people who work and don't and in different industries and feel different ways and go to church and don't and all those kinds of things. Um, but also, so their youngest, um, the foster I referred to earlier, um, can't really contend with school on a full-time basis. Um, so they do a kind of partial impromptu homeschooling situation, but they don't do any of it. We have a maths teacher in the community, so she does maths. Um, I'm a kitchen nerd, so she comes and does essentially home ec with me. Um, we have a sports nut. She does PE with him. Like, every, like everything that they kind of need to supplement in her world, we can do within our community, and they can get a break as well, which is helpful. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there are, you know, as singles, we get an amount of kid in our lives that fits us really nicely, and as families, they can send their children away sometimes. You know, I spent um, Friday night playing board games with their teenagers. Um, one of the things that's really interested me, interested me about this, um, and one of the things that I guess as a person who doesn't own property and is looking increasingly unlikely that I ever will, hands up if you're in this boat, um, is just the... I guess, like, the communitarian aspect, the pooling of resources, um, that effectively there are, like, within that group, there's a potential lifelong living situation, which, yeah, like, how does the money work, for want of a better, sure. <laughs> for want of a less blunt question? Before we I'm not Andrew Denton. So then I'm going to, um, one of the things that you mentioned, that potential lifelong living situation, it was a surprise to me two years, 18 months ago, actually talking to Stu about his moving and whatnot to realise I will probably live in this court for the rest of my life. Like, that's my intention. We do have people who will come and go, um, but we have kind of 
two couples and two singles for whom this is probably our lives. Um, and I did not plan on that, but it is very real for me. Um, so uh, we have, you know, a couple who bought a property and built in the back. Um, and then when next door came up, we had a little squad of people who pulled their resources. So we have a young lady who was um, who lost both of her parents as a teenager and who had the family home but didn't want it because memories and upkeep. Um, who, um, from our kind of viewpoint, we assigned the existing front house there. And then the couple, um, the family, and then um, another single kind of pulled some of their resources and they built the places in the back. But from the standpoint of any bank or legal arrangement or anything for many, many years, it was just a whole lot of names and if it went badly, it was going to go really badly. <laughs> um, but we trusted that it would and officially... Very recently, it all kind of got separated out, um, but you have to kind of take a certain leap to, you know, assume that people won't try and screw you. <laughs> um, and um, for those of us who aren't in that, um, we do pay rent, um, but we pay vastly below market for rent, essentially. So no one's going broke on, you know, handing over their homes, but no one's really making a profit out of it. And it allows for, so there's 20 of us, 15 are adults of, like, we would assume you work full-time kind of version, um, depending on how you feel about what a PhD constitutes, either two or three people work full-time, that's it. The rest of us all have some flexibility to work part-time or I'm one of those people who kind of cobbles together a lot of different things to make my work um, and it goes up and down depending on who wants me and how my health is. Um, and we have some flexibility around that as well. We also um, have a neighbour across the road, um, who is an um, elderly woman with a terminal cancer, um, whose son, um, because of his own health situation, would never be able to move into that property when she's gone. So we already know that when she's gone, a bunch of us will probably go in and buy that as well. Um, so that's a, you know, something we've been able to negotiate with them, something that we know for ourselves, and again, we'll be able to pull off because it's not just one person or one family kind of it's just so fascinating to me as someone, one of the things that fascinates me about the early church is the, the way they were able to pull resources and for whatever reason that stopped happening. Um, yeah, but it's just the, the challenges, I guess, that face us as a community and as people within collectives and communities um, as particular situations get more and more dire about the, possi the possibilities of rethinking um, communitarianism and finances in particular. But it does take an awful lot of trust and yeah. absolutely works against what any banker or accountant or lawyer would assume mm. that you ought to do. Yeah. Oh, and look, plenty of experiences of collectives will tell you it's very dangerous as well. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, what, what are the costs? As in, what, what's difficult about this? Like, what when you kind of find yourself... <laughs> dreaming of being anywhere else but in this situation or other things or for other people you know yeah. in the in the collective like that privacy part is probably was my home ground for that um that we've already covered and it's not ever enough that I dreamt of leaving the community um again I floated it on Thursday um to see what other people felt like and two of them in particular uh, their response was conflict and so it's a question that I often get as well like how do you manage conflict um in my case, for those of you who are Enneagram people, I'm an eight, so quite comfortably is the answer to that question. 
I'm um, married to one of them. <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> um, not true of everyone else, though. Um, and particularly, um, it falls on certain people to kind of carry the load of that sometimes as well. Um, and I am I'm on the second rung of that kind of um, little battle as well. So conflict um, is something that you, is inevitable when you have 20 human beings sharing a space. Um, and something that requires a certain amount of... It's a long time since I was a Bible girl, um, but one of the... Paul as well, which makes me very unhappy with myself. One of the things that I remember is... I can't remember the reference, but that kind of with all human... With all humility, bear with each other in love. And that bear with each other is something that we have had to learn. That kind of take a deep breath and sit with discomfort for a while. Um, and um, so my example of that is I mentioned two families and two singles who the kind of, we're going to be here for a long time brigade. Um, I am one of those singles. The other single is a gentleman I've been... I'd been trying, knowing this was coming for a few weeks, to think of how to explain him um, until last weekend um, one of the kids revealed to me that he owns a special kind of essentially scissors that helps him to trim his lawn in the corners where the lawnmower can't get. That's the kind of one person of he is. Mm. Discipline, tidiness, very important. I am a loud, messy, mentally ill, fat woman, queer I'm all the things that are anathematic to him, um, and in many ways he is the same to me, this very restrained, disciplined, white cis guy. <laughs> um, and we have had to learn to recognise each other's humanity. Um, I have learned to recognise that this kind of clenched acceptance of me is him doing an incredibly huge amount of work um, when it doesn't look like, you know, to my view that isn't the first instinct, but is absolutely the case. Um, and that we have, as people who really love this community very desperately, learned to live with people who make us uncomfortable. And learning that difference between uncomfortable and unsafe, particularly for someone with a history like mine, has been a really big deal. Um, there have been some slightly more kind of robust conflicts, you know, a little less clenched, <laughs> um, that um, particularly, um, to a certain extent, he and the, the father in the family have been responsible for negotiating. Some of the upsides is we have a lot of physical spaces, so we can just move people around if we need to. We've done that. Um, some people are not designed to live, like, right next to each other, but are fine across a driveway. <laughs> and we have just had to learn to kind With of... With a moat. Yeah. Preferably. Throw it upside down and, like, move... You know, someone who's desperately afraid of bugs and someone who desperately hates chemicals can't live in the same house as each other. Um, so we've had to do that. But then also we have had to ask people to do what myself and that guy have done and take a deep breath and bear with each other. Um, and the different variations of that verse, and I can no longer remember, it's chapter 4, verse 2 of something that Paul wrote. Of the Bible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there's different, um, like, uh, translations of it, and one of them is, like, recognising each other's faults, make space for each other, essentially. Like, there's one there that's, like, specifically about faults, and when you live the way we live... You have a front row seat to everyone's faults and you have to learn to love each other enough or to love everyone else enough to make space for each other. That's a fun challenge. Yeah. Um, 
Would you be open to a couple of questions from the floor? Or Absolutely. We can veto anything we yeah. want. Yeah, I'm going to say no if I feel like it. But yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, firmly. Has anyone got a question that I've missed that they would like to hear? Stu, this sounds like a massive stitch up. Stu and Sarah have known each other for a long time, so this could actually get really personal. Um, we'll, see, we'll see. Stu knows literally every human in the Where's place. that baking dish I lent you? <laughs> Probably in somebody else's kitchen is the correct answer. One of the downsides is just an endless parade of um, on the group text pictures of various kitchen equipment saying, who does this belong to? <laughs> I'm interested with the introduction of people in recent times who haven't had a, a church background or any particular experience of this kind of community before. Normal people, yeah. yeah. In fact, people you've just found via the internet even. Um, I, th I think that's a really interesting dynamic, and I'm wondering how that's kind of contributed to the ongoing sure. Um So for those of you who haven't, like, been at, at my place a bunch, um, a lot of the originals come from the church that I grew up in, although very few of us, one, attends regularly, a couple attend very sporadically. Um, but in the last couple of years, we had, like, we ran out of people we knew. <laughs> who wanted to live like we live. So we literally put it on flatmates.com um, and we have been incredibly lucky. Um, we were very upfront about what it was. Like, here is a picture of us. Again, slightly edited because some of us have to be careful. Um, but, you know, we will be up in your grill. You will have some control over your privacy and you probably also won't have any. Um, and so that means that we have folks with us who, um, so one of them is, an international student who has had a very different experience than a lot of people who moved here from, in her case, India. Um, you know, normally in big apartment blocks full of people like her, but instead she's in a weird commune with us, um, which means, you know, one of her early weekends she came to a drag bar and watched Eurovision with some of us, um, as well as going kind of camping, uh, sorry, hiking in the Dandenongs um, with some of us as well. So she's had a, a real experience of that, and other than her deep distaste for Australian insect life, um, <laughs> seems to have been, um, enjoyed the experience very much. And then another girl who's just kind of a bit of a hippie, so it fit her really well as well. Like, she saw that, hey, we're prone to accidentally delving into the nature of the universe over dinner, and she was like, sign me up. So it worked really nicely. We've been very lucky. And then our most recent addition, who actually arrived yesterday, very lightly knew some folks. Um, he lived overseas with them, or, you know, met them on trips overseas a while ago, came over here on a, you know, a little holiday for a couple of weeks last year, came camping with, with us um, and went home to the States and went, oh, no, I want to live there. So he's, you know, with all of the smiling determination of a white American man, just managed to make visas and everything work. And so he's moved over and stuff. Um, but we've just been very lucky mostly, I don't know, question mark, but it's worked. Anyone else? Yes. My name's Mark. Very inspiring. Thank you. Um, I, I wonder if you can comment on, um, it appears to me, the way you live in the community is, flies in the face of our culture's um, idolization of independence. Uh, and I wonder how all of you cope with constantly swimming against the stream that is the river around you. Um, one of the people involved in our conversation on Friday was our 18-year-old um, who 
acknowledges that she is the weirdest person in her school. <laughs> um, she is just built for that and we're very lucky that way because I can imagine what it's like to be a teenager in our setting. Um, I also know what it's like to, well, I don't know, but I have seen what it's like to bring a new partner in and that is a challenge. If you imagine bringing your new partner to meet your family for the first time, only there's 19 of them and we are nosy bitches. It is hard. <laughs> um, so there's some of those kinds of things. Um, I have to admit that I don't notice it. I'm also, a lot of us are just kind of weird people and that helps. Um, whether it's we have different work experiences, folks who moved from the country and lived, you know, in student accommodation. Yeah, I don't notice it and I, I most of us don't notice it. We all find a different way of explaining it in casual conversation with people who don't need to know about our lives. So I worked partly as a consultant, so I'm like in client workplaces. I refer to my in-laws who live behind me and their kids, my nieces and nephews. That's not anything like our relationship, but it gives a decent sense of it. Um, so there's a certain amount of, I suppose, closet that comes with that, but that's mostly just because you don't need to like stop and have a really long conversation with everyone. Um, so I don't know if that's an answer to your question, but it's kind of the way that it works for us. We don't, I, I personally don't feel a particular kind of countercultural kind of feeling every moment. Um, it makes some people's families a bit, you know, concerned, but they also get used to it. So it's my mother um, thinks it's one of the best things in my life, but it took her a while to understand what the hell it was. <laughs> cool. Last one. No pressure. Is it bad if I ask you a question? You said last one. Well, the first one's really easy to answer, I Excellent. think. Do you guys have pets? Um, we ha my house has a cat. Um, young family house has bunnies. And we had two elderly dogs who are no longer um, with us over the last couple of months. But um, none of those... Pardon? No, it was not the bunny. <laughs> um, uh, so, yes, and the great thing for the family with four children who don't want to have to look after pets is their kids have pets without them having to do anything more than the occasional feeding duties. Great. And the other one was um, personality-wise, like with introverts and extroverts or whatever, um, do you think most people fall into one category or the other? I'm just wondering how people who are introverted deal with people all the time. So the assumption might be that we're all huge extroverts, but we're probably at least 50-50, probably slightly more introverts than extroverts. She's nodding at me in a way that suggests that I might be right. Yep. Um, so the upside is we can just close our doors. Um, when I asked for upsides and downsides at dinner, um, the mother of the family was like, finding time to introvert real hard can be tough, particularly when not only you live like we do, but you have four kids. So it depends. For some of us, it's like no big deal because I'm a pretty big introvert, but I can just pull the blind down and no one comes to my house. <laughs> um, and that, like that, being able to negotiate how using space works for you is really important. I also sometimes like chuckle at the Enneagram in like communities like this is a, you know, it's a bit weird, whatever, but it really actually works when you live, you know, hand in glove with 20 other people. However true it is, it gives us a shorthand to, like, explain ourselves sometimes. Um, and the gentleman with whom I had to learn to live over a huge amount of time, um, working out, understanding what a six is, 
meant with, with him, helped me to recognise how much of a threat my, like, whole deal is to him, how he receives that and how um, he's doing the work. So um, having a shorthand to be able to kind of explain ourselves to each other really helped. Surely that's not better, though, than just a jettisoning a relationship off into the distance every time you have conflict, isn't that? Yeah. Isn't that better? Just to burn <laughs> no, that bridge, no. well, lock your case, apartment like, door, and never have to deal with terrible people again. Yell extensively at each other to oh, bond. That That's good. my good. solution. Mm-hmm. I have had to learn that is not everyone's solution. Yeah. Intimacy through conflict is a good news story for me. No one else. We do yeah. not have other eights. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. We do have a lot of nines, though. We have a lot of people who just like will live with something for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> just long-suffering, yeah. yeah, until they go postal. Yeah. yeah, and that same verse that I still can't remember, long-suffering is, again, one of those words that, depending on your translation, comes yeah. up a lot, and mm. you have to do it. Mm. Awesome. Um, we could talk all day, but um, the children are revolting. So, um, And also, my children went home, and therefore they took their snacks with them. So I'm not coping, so we're going to need to eat soon. Um, Thank you so, so very much for that and um, for braving these people. We're going to give you a clap because it was really lovely and wonderful. Thank you. Um, We are actually going to eat a small meal now. Um, If there's enough of it, we may have to share. That's fine. We've got straws. You can do the two-in-one. Um, this is, a, for those of you who aren't familiar, is a symbolic meal um, that's been eaten and drunken for thousands of years. Um, it was culturally appropriated by um, Christian Jews <laughs> as opposed to Jewish Jews. Um, it was once a Passover meal. Um, Jesus invited us to eat and drink in remembrance of him. And when the early church did this, what they remembered was that all kinds of people need to eat and drink together. Um, It was a radically inclusive meal in a highly stratified society. Um, It was an awkward and uncomfortable meal because you would have um, slaves and slave owners locking eyes across this meal, um, saying that each other was equal, which is incredibly uncomfortable when you get home again. Um, This is a meal of hospitality and inclusion and invitation. Um, and so we, as a church, keep on practicing this meal and trying to remember um, Jesus as we do so and all that Jesus stood for and died for. Um, so this is a meal that we invite people to partake of if they want to or to not or to just pretend. Um, if you are just a little bit peckish but don't care about Jesus, you're the more, more than welcome to join us as well. Um, but it is our table of hospitality. So if you wish to come and have a bit of cracker and a bit of juice with us, um, gathered in the name of welcome and of loving neighbours, then um, you are more than welcome to do so. So for those of you who are part of this community and want to join in, um, feel free to come and crack crackers and take cups.
Jesus, you said, to remember you when we do this. We remember you who invited the least of these into your midst. Remember you who cared so deeply about those who are in need. Remember you who annoyed people in power. Remember you who are so willing to give of yourself, to look with kind eyes. Remember you who came and was a burden to people, which is something we're all terrified of, that you inconvenienced people when you needed them. Help us to remember that. In your loving name, amen.